Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 127th episode of the Truth Island podcast. No matter how grim life may appear, a trend that has emerged within the past several decades is the power of positive thinking. Countless self-help books, spiritual gurus, and workplace posters have suggested just about anything in which we wish can manifest simply through thinking positive thoughts. While some sources might cite that the universe abides by certain frequencies that can be tapped into, other more scientific sources tell us that by simply training our minds to want something very badly, we will naturally start taking steps to get the objects of our desire. While having a solution-minded approach to life is certainly an asset in achieving one's goals, there does come a point where good old-fashioned reality has a way of kicking in. For example, would it have been possible for a Russian prisoner to have had enough positive thoughts to escape the clutches of a Soviet-era gulag? Positive thinking can also have the unintended consequences of shaming people who have fallen into situations which are totally beyond their control. For instance, is it right to shame a person suffering from a terminal illness for simply not having enough positive thoughts or not wishing hard enough for their disease to go away? Does the circumstance in which you were born, disabilities, family obstacles play any role in our success? Or can they simply be washed away with the correct mental frequencies or proper growth mindset? While it's important to develop a frame of mind that will lead one to live up to their highest potential, where exactly do we draw the line between that which can be overcome by positive thinking and that which we must surrender to the hard prison of reality? To help me figure out if my mind is drifting in the right direction, I am once again joined by Alexander. Alex, tell me, have you been drifting more positively or more towards reality as of late? Definitely not more positive. <laughs> so far more reality, far more of grasping and weighing on the scales of this crazy world where, where the weight is in terms of my life, uh, in terms of what I'm in control of, in terms of what I need to be in better control of and, you know, the risks, the risks involved with living. And I think that's kind of the sentiment for everyone these days, post pandemic. What, what do you think? I think that in the, in the early two thousands, there was so many things that were coming, coming to fruition. Like even, even the name of that book that, you know, the power of positive thinking was like a huge bestseller. And I think a lot of this is driven by the circumstances in which we, 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 we live. For example, I know that a lot, like the self-help industry, a lot of that actually came out of the Great Depression. Like people actually, uh, you know, I, I was watching this kind of documentary and like people actually could not, like, like we went from the 1930s, which people were starving. And that same generation went to the 1950s, which is arguably one of the most positive decades of, of, of human existence. I mean, for some, for some people that is, and they need to come up with like a justification of like, well, like, how did this be? And people, people don't like not having a locus of control. Everyone likes to feel that they are the captain of their own ship. And I think positive thinking is a way to kind of selfishly, in some ways, gain control over things that need not be in our control. And that's that's one way of looking at it. And I, I have to be very careful because I like the idea of cultivating my own self to its highest form possible. I think that's a very, very beautiful thing. I think 
it connects with the ancient Greeks, this idea of, of uh, arete, you know, excellence, right? And then that's really, really, really important in Western thought because we all have untapped potential that needs to be cultivated into its highest form. Otherwise, when we get older, we're going to live with a tremendous amount of regret. However, mm. in more recent decades, I am noticing that a lot of positivity is also a way of shifting blame from people who truly have power onto those who may not have so much power. And I, I, I kind of find that to be a bit of a frightening trend, at least within the past two or three decades. Yeah, I see what you mean. I've always viewed positive thinking as like the Western world's way of removing the id from the conversation, removing the ego from the conversation, right? Like, oh, just think positively and it'll all be okay. You know, it's almost like this hands-off approach, this, uh, this divine, this divine uh, circumstance where they don't have to adhere to the responsibilities of realism. You know, it's more just, and, and there is a lot of utility to that, right? Like we can't, we can't necessarily say it's all bad. In terms of sports psychology, positive thinking is a core tenet to any successful uh, athlete's enterprise, right? It's like, it, you're not going to, you're not going to get a hole in one if you don't believe in yourself. Right? <laughs> you're not going to be able to, yeah, you're not going to be able to come back from, you know, a, a few, a few bad rounds in, in a basketball game. If your team doesn't believe that you deserve the victory. Mm. So there is a balance, right? There is a balance. It, it has kind of become a little woo woo in a way where it's this, they're trying to add substance to something that isn't necessarily covering 360 degrees of a subject matter. Right, because we do, we work in a three dimensional world, and I do believe one of the dimensions is the belief and the confidence of your approach. It's important because it it keeps you from over adjusting in a way. In terms of just like an ergonomics perspective, right? If you're confident walking into a room, you're expending less energy on things that don't exactly that aren't exactly required to your initial objective. Mm-hmm. So you're just you're direct. You're getting there more efficiently. So there is that, right? But at the same time, it's like, if you're not wearing the right pair of shoes and you're walking on a hot surface, you're going to burn your feet. Like there is like, I don't know if that's a terrible metaphor, but there is a realism aspect to that, right? You can't just think positively that if you walk over a bed of spikes, what's a better example? If you walk over glass that you're not going to, you know, cut your feet, right? There, (laughs) There are realism perspectives. So, you know, it's really just about identifying the dimensionality of the circumstance and not putting so much weight on one. But I also want to bring this up that there is a encumbrance to those that don't have the confidence. There is an encumbrance. There is an, from an ergonomics perspective, just from the way your body moves. If you're not confident in the way you express yourself, you're going to be doing a lot of cleanup in, in areas that aren't, aren't adhering to your core objective. Wow. No, I, I love that. It, it's almost like, like you need to show up to life in a suit and tie in a, in a way with that confidence of like looking your best and, and projecting the best. I think that that's absolutely right. It kind of gets back to this um, this passage that I read in the book Slaughterhouse-Five where um, the British are captured by the Germans and they're in POW camps. And the I believe like the, the British captain or sergeant, whoever is in charge, tells his men, okay, we're in this prison, but you have to shave every single day and smile and make jokes because if you give up your humanity, if you if you just 
become prisoners, if you become less less than, then you're going to be treated as such. And that's like the power mm. of positive thinking. Now, where the boundary is, is that you can shave, you can smile and make jokes. That doesn't mean the Germans are just going to like open the gate and be like, all right, you're free to go. We, we see that you're human enough that you can just walk the streets. But they mm. were able to alter the circumstances in, in, in exchange for getting better treatment. Like the Germans were, were offered them more cigarettes. They offered them like, all right, you know, you guys, you guys are quite funny. You guys have character. You guys have personality. We're going to let you have a little bit more freedom than if we if you just had this downtrodden face at all times of like, oh, my God, we're we're going to die any moment now. And oh, my God, life is so grim and so forth. So I, I, I think that and I think what's missing from this discussion is really the teaching of stoicism and the teachings of Seneca here, because I mm -hmm. think that there is positivity exists within walls. Right. And you can do a, you can do a, you can alter a lot of things within those walls, right? And you can bring a lot of positivity and a lot of confidence within those walls. However, realism kicks in when you discover that there are still walls, right? Those walls are still there. That's kind of like the, the balance that I think that our minds kind of struggle with. Well, let me, I wanna push back on what you just said, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, I would actually argue that that's not positive thinking. I would say that that's positive action, which is what I think the baby is between positive thinking and realism. Right. It's like the difference is, is that they took action by shaving their faces and maintaining habits that provide a positive environment in the real world. That's not necessarily positive thinking. Positive thinking and to me is just thinking. Right. It's just thinking, OK, you're sitting in a lunchroom, you're sitting in a lunchroom and your next class, you're about to take a, a very important test. The, the positive thinking element would be no matter what. I'm going to ace this test. No matter what, whatever, no matter what answers I give, because I'm thinking positively, I'm good to go. So I guess, you know, we need to talk about the daisy chain a little bit of this, right? Because you also, that's not testable either, right? Positive thinking. Um, I mean, maybe on some level it is in terms of like brain patterns and how total use of your, of your brain, but this is where it gets into the woo woo, right? If it's just thinking, that isn't necessarily stoicism. Stoicism is applying the thought, the inner citadel to your actions. Mm. So that is, I think you can't, you can't argue with, right? Taking positive actions, reinforcing positive habits is I think the difference between success and failure in life in general, but just positive thinking is, is it's a little delusional. No. Okay. Only. I, I actually love your example. I think the exam is a good example. Okay. If, for example, you are just thinking, I will do well on this exam, but you take no action, you don't study for that exam, you don't read any books, you don't do your homework and so forth, mm. and then you sit and take that exam, you're probably going to fail. I don't care what frequencies you're tapping into or megahertz of uh, meditation you're doing. If you don't know the freaking material, you're not going to do well on that exam. However, maybe the seed, maybe the correct positive thought is I can do well on this exam. So you're not saying I will do well on this exam. I can 
do well on this exam because then that triggers you to take the appropriate action so that you do do well on that test. So if you think I can do well on that test, the, for, the subsequent question will be, well, what do I need to do so I can do well on this test? Whereas someone who says, I can never do well on this test, well, then they, they, they have not incorporated any form of positive thought into their life whatsoever. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of chicken or the egg conversation too, right? It's like, can you do well if you don't think you can do well? It's, it's almost that argument of for kids in high school who get bullied, mm -hmm. you know, where it's, um, okay, well, if you go into high school maintaining a positive aptitude, does that keep you from being bullied because you seem less weak? I don't, I don't know. You know, I think, um, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I think sometimes uh, the, the utility of positive thinking is similar to a wave and that mm -hmm. there's tides to it. And that sometimes it's easier to like have wind in your sail in terms of maintaining momentum and your positive thinking. And then I also think positive thinking can just be willed like spilled out of a, of, out of a forge, like Hephaestion working hard in your head. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? So this is actually a very, this conversation, I think in many ways is a continuation with a, a conversation that I had with Kenny. And we actually talked about oh. the, the, the 10,000 hour rule, like by Malcolm Gladly, just do something for 10,000 hours. And I actually thought about that rule. I actually know 10,000 hours actually approximates to roughly 10 years of life. I actually know people who have put in the 10,000 hours and they're still not masters. So mm -hmm. I've actually, I've actually met people that have like, you know, had the positive mindset, put in all that action and they're still, okay, you're not bad, but you're somewhere mediocre. Like there are musicians out there who go their entire lives, decades, decades producing music. And they, they have yeah. the positive mindset. They have the passion. They have the, the excitement, they have the love for it, but just, you know, they release their CD or they upload their stuff to YouTube. And it's just like, yeah, well, okay. Thanks, man. That's nice. And that's where I think realism kind of comes into the play because I do think that each of us has certain boundaries that we're probably unaware of. And I think you want to remain positive, but you only want to remain positive within the boundaries in which you have been entrusted with or the boundaries in which you exist. And I use the example hmm. of like, let's just say you've got that positive mindset. You put your 10,000 hours of being a basketball player. You, you put in the 10,000 hours, you got the positive mindset, but you're only five foot one. It's like no matter how much positive yeah. positive thought you put in there, no matter how many 10,000 hours you do there, there's still a physical boundary of you only be f being five foot one that just cannot be overcome. That's where I think we are heading off a cliff where we're unnecessarily and unduly shaming ourselves. Like, oh, well, I should have been able to get into the NBA even though I'm five foot one because I had enough positive thoughts. Whereas maybe being a little less hard on ourselves and saying, wait a second, there's some, there's some real boundaries here that I just will never be able to overcome. I struggle with this exact situation personally, um, in terms of, you know, my acting and my movie making, right. It's like, I've been in this game for a while. And then you hear about people who just kind of stumble into a series of circumstances that, you know, catapults them into the most momentous career, right. right? That right. don't, they don't necessarily deserve it. And, you know, like, no hatred towards him, right? Like none at all, no jealousy even, you know, but this is where the realism comes in right? for <laughs> artists. Um, I think this is the difference, right? It's not the quality of outcome. 
measurements here in terms of mastery. I think it's self-mastery, your individual potential. I could be wrong if Malcolm Gladwell was talking about just in general, like everyone's on the same scale. You get your 10,000 hours, you're at the master tier. I don't know if it's like that. I think it's self-mastery, individual mastery. And, you know, those that are, have spent 10,000 hours, it's 10 years doing something. If you're doing 10 years doing something and you haven't, and, and you've hit a ceiling, it's not going to get much better, you know? It, yeah. 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 Now, so this is, this is kind of my compromise that, that I, that I've made in some way. If you're doing the 10,000 hours, but you enjoy the 10,000 hours, you really, really, and I, I did um, have a, an actor on this program, uh, you know, a while ago, and he, he was uh, a bit older than us. And, you know, he did not reach that, that pinnacle apex career of success. But he said that for the years that he's been doing acting work, he's enjoyed every, every minute of it. And he's, he's written plays and, 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 and done all of that. And, you know, he's gotten people to come see them and so forth, but it isn't like what we would say. He hasn't written like a Broadway musical or whatever, but mm. he said, Hey, Aaron, I've enjoyed every minute of this. Like every minute of this 10,000 hours has been bliss and joy, even if, it, even if it hasn't given me the critical acclaim in which I so desire. And mm -hmm. I kind of see, like, I almost feel as if like, if you can, if you're enjoying the 10,000 hours, if you're, if you're enjoying it, even if you have that boundary, right, that, that very real boundary, because even going back to our five foot one basketball player, if he enjoyed, if he enjoyed those 10,000 hours of practicing basketball, even if he never makes it to the NBA, who are we to say that he should just give up and, and pursue something else if that's what he enjoys the most? Yeah, I don't even think it, life is about that necessarily. You know, I, I've always had the perspective that I have to get towards my destination. Mm. And that has been, I think, the biggest cause of my unhappiness throughout my entire life, where I forget to enjoy just the step, each step it takes. The enjoyment of that was something that I lost because, you know, I ask myself, well, what the hell is the whole point if I'm not reaping in the, 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 the finality that I've had in my head for this long period of time, but you know, that's wrong. This is the wrong way. So I think that guy's mentality is hundred percent accurate, right? It's like, I, I remember meeting this woman on a plane and she thought I was military or something. You know, I was, I was probably listening to like some song that got me hyped, <laughs> you know, and I'm like <laughs> standing straight and like walking with like a little oomph in my step. Yeah. And I sit down and she sparks up conversation. She's like, what do you do? And I tell her, I was like, well, I'm an actor. She's like, well, it's a hard life. And my answer was purpose is relative. Right, right. That's that's good so answer. You, you can have all the money in the world, all of the stable jobs that's quote unquote easier and hate every second of it. Yeah. Whereas you can have an actor who's making very little money and by no means is poverty like, okay, but <laughs> you can have an actor making less money and feel more enlightened by the, the spark of life on their day to day than any person with a few extra zeros in their account. So, you know, all that's well and good. The, the difference here is that do you feel with your positive thinking that you're going to get everything? Right. Right. Like where do you draw that line, that boundary between I'm being 
it's it's an American selling point. Like, let's talk about that too, right? Like, America sells the American dream. What is it that George Carlin says? Um, you have to American... be asleep to to believe in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. So this is I, I liked what my friend Kenny said because he called the self the self help industry as intellectual crack, and and the the way he explained it was as such. You read the, these books, you know, get rich quick or whatever, and you get really, really like hyped up and get like you're 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 a gorilla, you're pounding your chest and you're super hyped up. But with like any drug, there's that super high, and then it all comes crashing down, right? Like the, the, you will just psh, completely crash. And if we actually just step back like 10 steps and look at exactly that precise cycle, you read the self-help book, you feel that intellectual crack, and then reality hits and you come crashing. Well, what was the problem? The problem was, is that you went into the endeavor with the expectation of becoming extremely rich or extremely famous. That's the problem. That's why it's intellectual crack, because you're entering the endeavor of like, I will be the next big thing. I will be rich. I will be famous. Whereas if you just entered the endeavor of, I just freaking love doing this. I just love doing this. I love every hour. I love every minute of acting or podcasting or whatever it is. Then you don't actually have that withdrawal. Like you don't experience right. the withdrawal symptoms of like, oh, I'm not successful. <laughs> you know, like, so you're able to kind of just relish and enjoy the thing that you're doing in that precise moment. For sure. And this is, uh, this is where I feel people get self-help books wrong. It's not their fault that you're delusional. <laughs> it's not their fault that you eat up every single word as if it's gospel. The truth is, is that that book has one mission in mind, which is to deliver a series of forms of thinking that will help your life for the better. But every single author who writes those books understands there is a deterioration. There is a bell curve in terms of how, when they deliver that information and you incept it into your brain to how your human sentiments towards life, your perspectives, your past, your history, everything chips away at the purity of that monolithic thought. So what do they do? They focus on hitting the peak and let you do the deterioration and the erosion of the possibilities to your own life. But if they were to come to you with the thought that they're as rational as you and I, it's not going to work. They're not going to reach enough minds. There is a con artist element to this, but I'm talking genuine self-help. David Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, like real, real self-help, not, not woo-hoo stuff, right? Like real self-help with, with, with graphs and with processes and with testing. They have, to re- they have to hit that peak and they can't, just like any leader on a battlefield. Do you think the leader, before convincing everyone to go into a charge, is like 40% of you will die the other 20% will be maimed for life, but we're here now and we should all do this anyway. No, okay. no, it's not going to work. But here, here's the thing though. I, I think, I think there have been generals who have actually said, I think there were generals during the civil war who said that exact thing, who said, you know, half of you will not be coming back from this mission. And what that did though, is that the credibility of that general or of that leader actually skyrocketed, right? Because if the general said, hey, guys, we're going to go to war and it's going to be fine. We're going to kick ass. It's going to be wonderful. A few of you might die. We don't know. 
Well, that general is going to lose all credibility. Like they, they, they will have credibility going into the battle, but then once that battle is a huge massacre or a huge slaughter, that general will never be believed again because every, all the troops are going to be like, hey, you promised us glory and blah, 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 and like half of us didn't come back. So I actually... If there were, if there was a choice between those two generals, I would actually go with the general who's telling it how it is. Like, hey, half of you are not going to be coming back. I trust that guy because he's telling me how it is, and then I can emotionally, I can emotionally prepare myself for the eventuality that I may not be coming back or I may fail. So, if you're offering self-help, say you could write a self-help book and say, here are the things that are going to make you most effective. However, these habits of effectiveness are no substitute for reality. You know, like you, there is a chance that you will still fail. There is a chance that you're going to have to reinvent yourself or pivot in another direction. I would read that book in a heartbeat, but a lot of, a, a lot of self-help, and I, I'll check out the book that you just mentioned. A lot of self-help is, is that it's, if you do these habits with 100% certainty, it will come true. And if it doesn't come true, it means you're just, you're not believing hard enough. And that, that is a cult that is fostering a culture of shame. I agree. And, and that's, that's and a the cult. Danger. Yes. A cult, you, 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 a cult, hundred percent. There is a cultic point to this, but to counter your, your general perspective in the civil war, they weren't the ones leading the charge. I would rather use an example like Alexander the great, who gives you this higher perspective of what's possible of someone whose speeches apparently were so outrageous and outlandish, <laughs> but then he's in the trenches. So it makes sense for the general to be like, well, half of you aren't going to make it. He's not the one leading the charge, is he? So it's a different, different psychology there. Now, the difference between self-help and cult is that self-help means you're there, in my opinion, right? You're there doing it with them. It's not suggestion. It's help. They're there. So... Um, I don't know, maybe I'm fighting a little too much on the semantics of that, right? But I, I see I see your point. I just think that it's really down to the sovereign individual to realize how reality plays in their life because it's so, the variability of people's reality is so vast mm -hmm. that it's hard for someone to even determine the reality. Like, where's the bar? And how is your reality my reality? And why should I listen to your reality as if it's my reality? That's not the case. And that's where I think people go wrong is that with self-help, people assume that everyone's on the same reality. The reality of someone who has to go and get water every day in Africa is so vastly different than my reality. I'm worried in the next like eight days, I got to pay taxes, right? <laughs> the different reality. So it's like, it's your job. It's your job to do that. And in my opinion, the authors, it's the author's job to hit the peak, the summit of what's possible. And it's your job to do the rest to get there. And I'm sorry if you fell for it, as if it's gospel. Shame on you. Not my problem. It helps me, though. You know, a lot of self-help helps me. Like um, the essential habits of a highly effective person, like I mentioned before, seven essential habits, is rooted in psychology. Right. Like that's, that's tested and it's scientific. And the other, uh, The Power of Habit, fantastic book where it's about emerging from failure and how the power of taking positive action reinforces something that's different, right? That's real self-help. Then you get into the thing like the secret. Now the secret classic, classic response by Jim Carrey, right? When he's on Oprah, uh, Oprah's like, you had this check for how many, how much money? A uh, hundred million dollars. I think he says, she's like, wow, that's amazing. And you kept it in your wallet. He's like, yeah, I kept it in my wallet. And I wrote down for acting services rendered. And the same date that I had on the check was the same day 
roughly that I got the check. She's like, wow. So you just manifested that into reality. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, you got to work really hard, right? Like you can't just manifest and then go eat a sandwich. <laughs> I, I, now I, and I love, I love those kind of stories. I want to give you this example. And I kind of alluded this to this in my intro power of prayer. And this is kind of an area where, which I find to be a little bit on the scarier side of self-help because thinking about our person with our terminal illness right now, right? It's like this idea that like, well, if I just pray hard enough, um, that illness will go away. And and again, like I I think of like the Jews who died in the Holocaust, like if they had just prayed hard enough, they would not have been sent to the gas chamber. I I mean, this isn't here's my super duper uh, collection of effective habits, right? If that's all it was, if it was like, do these habits and you will have a better life, Okie dokie, but add this part in where it's like, if you just pray hard enough, that will also help make your dreams come true and all that stuff. That's mm. where I kind of see this industry taking advantage of people and really, really playing, you know, mind games with people. What we're talking about is a form of religion. Yes. And religion does the same exact thing because it's, it's no different. Here's where I think the power of prayer really comes from. There is a psychological realm and each person's sovereignty in their own life that material objects cannot touch. They cannot interface with that dimension of your, of your being. You know, you can be physically murdered, right? You can be physically, you can be physically defeated, but you can also be mentally undefeated while being physically defeated. Just like an athlete who may have a physical limitation, but mentally they work themselves through it. There is a balance. There's an exchange between the energies of the psychological realm, in my opinion, with the energies of the physical realm. And with the laws of transference, you know, it's like not 100% of it is going to go through. And this is where I think prayer comes in. Because prayer is one of the most efficient ways, I think, to structure your psychology towards the matter to a point where it can assist the reality of the world. And this is where I think prayer is. But, you know, we're not taught that. We're taught that it just happens, which I think is wrong. And I think this is where um, actually some new age thinking is actually beneficial, not the woo-woo stuff. I'm talking about how, like we talked a little bit about that um, experiment, right? Where a, a Japanese scientist would talk to water in a positive way. <laughs> yes. Right? Remember yeah, that yeah. experiment? And it would crystallize like more pure. I think it's like that. I really do. I think the delivery of your energy exchanging from your psych- psychological realm to your physical realm is just a little more efficient. Like, I, I agree with the first half of what you said. I agree with you that if prayer puts you in a positive mindset, that is a great thing. Like, again, it may, it, prayer may allow you to cope right? Like you, you, you could pray and you're, you're in, you're in a, a gulag, you're in a prison, you're in some kind of circumstances that is robust. And that prayer puts you in the proper mindset. And maybe that proper mindset allows you to survive that ordeal. And that's, that's a mm-hmm. fantastic thing. I just think that when you say, if you pray, it will come true. Therein lies the danger. Cause there is no guarantee of that happening. Now, if you say, prayer is powerful. And if you pray, it will make your habits more effective. It will make your mindset more effective. It will make all of these things like more bearable. Hey, I'm totally cool with that. But just, just leave out the, leave out the part where you say, 
if you pray with 100% conviction, it must come true. That's just the only part where I think that that should be omitted. I, I just think in fairness to the reader, because you don't want to ever tell somebody who's dying of a terminal disease, you just, you didn't pray with 100% conviction. I just don't have the heart right. to tell somebody that. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's so complicated too, because there have been times in my life when I've wanted something, but not latched on to the requirement of it when things happen to come to pass. There's also times when I feel like I've picked up on what people are thinking without them necessarily insinuating that that is what they're thinking. So I do think that there are almost like radio waves towards our thoughts and they do affect some aspects of the world, but it's not promised. And, and you're right. That's selling snake oil right? It, it really is. If it's like, if you believe hard enough, anything can happen it just isn't true. The, the reality is, is it's, I think it's an environment, you know, you're adding humidity to the equation so that you might just get the right type of precipitation down the road. You know, like you're, you're adding an element that's required for the whole cycle to take place for you to get that windfall of what you're hoping to do. Right. Mm. Like classic example, um, one thing that I know we talked about was when you're thinking positively and you're walking through New York City back in pre-pandemic days and you didn't really take time to look at people in front of you, but you looked through, it, it, there was a funny thing that happened, right? People just get out of your way. And I think positive thinking is something similar to that. It doesn't, you still have to walk there. You still have to have enough calories in your body to be able to walk. You still have to have feet, but it does. It's, it's an, it's an auxiliary, not a promise. I mm. think, um, a, a necessary auxiliary to, to achieving it. It is a strategy. It is a pathway. It is not a promise. Okay. I, I actually like what you said. It's an auxiliary. It's a tool. It's an instrument. And I, I think that if the self-help industry is to reinvent itself, I think that just needs to be. And, and like I said, now, this is where we kind of get into the capitalism and the profit motive, right? Because yeah, if, an, if an author has to write a preface where they say, these are just simply tools, there is no guarantee, <laughs> right? Like, done. right? It's like, you know, now that's going to hurt their bottom line, right? That author is going to be like, well, I don't want to write this preface already, already hedging what it is that I have to offer, right? And that that's going to, and the publishers are not going to like that. And it's going to hint to their bottom line. But I think this is where, where true integrity has to kind of come into play. And I think there has to be more of a push for those kind of prefaces to be written, where it's like, right. these are tools that have made me successful. They may make you successful. They may not make you successful. There may be unknown limitations that you have in your life that I, as the author, cannot see. And mm. you may have to adjust accordingly and make this fit your within your own life. And I think that if we did that, then people could have the strategies, some strategies they use, some strategies they don't utilize. And then whether it works or doesn't work, there isn't this like shaming of like, I failed, it was 100% supposed to come true. It's more like, okay, this set of strategies, like half of these strategies were fantastic. Just half of these strategies were not right for my particular life. But when the author says that if you follow these strategies, the, like a dog could follow these strategies and they could, you know, eventually run for Congress. That's, that's malarkey. <laughs> that, that's malarkey. Well, sir, sir, <laughs> Sherman Shepherds are pretty intelligent. No, you know, look, these authors are smart. 
lot smarter. They think they're a lot smarter than everyone else. That's why they're writing a book that they feel will help the world. Sure. Okay. So let's put it in that context for a second. Then you add a commercial element to it. So they're incentivized for you to just consume and not ask questions because doubt, there's no room for doubt. And then third, they look at structures that were similar and success and successful in a similar way, like religion. There's no room for doubt in religion. Mm, There's right. no room for heresy. How <laughs> dare you, witch, burn at the stake despite half my Catholic imagery is based off of pagan principles, but I'll burn you. You know, it's ridiculous. So they know, they know in order to sell the book and to peddle their wares that they have to take that pristine level and you know there's no there's you can't fix stupid you just can't and really it just comes down to i think people being exposed to experience rather than um soaking in the models of other people's realities as gospel yes that's the biggest problem right because you know they look at okay they look at uh what it's like to be a fighter in a movie they think that's that's all it is right like that's all that it takes that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. There's there's thousands of hours in between those scenes where a fighter is working hard, not unable to buy anything but ramen. Because you know, my point is is that they look at a product and they assume that that covers a hundred percent of it. Like that's just being dumb. And you know, I hate to say it, religion too. You read one book and you think it covers everything. That's silly. You know, the, the lessons are in the, in the juxtaposition between different perspectives mm-hmm. and finding the magic within that, the mosaic of that, right? And you want to piece it together. Like everyone's perspective is, is a fractal nature of the universe because they're only seeing it through their own kaleidoscopic mind. It's your job to piece that together and find meaning within your own existence. And you do that by providing different perspectives and not rooting yourself into a monolithic point of view. I, yes, I, well said. And I, th- I think to just even summarize that in like two sentences, it's like treat positivity as a tool, not as a religion. I think, mm. I think, I think yeah. if we look at positivity as this, this is just a tool, it, it's effective, it can be effective. However, it's not, it doesn't have religious certainty to it. There is, there mm-hmm. is a reality and there is a law, there are physics in this universe that, that do guide us. Positivity can get you only so far, but if you jump out of a window thinking you're going to fly, boy, oh boy, <laughs> reality is going to hit you pretty damn quick. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Anytime. Thank you again. This concludes the 127th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Now, I'm Aaron Azrod.